I want to open the sermon this morning with an experiment. It's an experiment that I read in John Ortberg's book, Faith and Doubt. And here's what he tells us to do. He says, start a sentence with the words, I believe, and then finish it with something deeply heartfelt. Let me give you an example. I believe that my wife adores me. That's a good example. Here's another one. I believe that the sun will rise tomorrow. Here's one more. I believe that vanilla ice cream is the best ice cream. But something that is also very heartfelt is this statement. I believe that God is always good. How did you finish that sentence? I believe. Well, here's what's interesting about it. I don't know what your statement of belief was, but I have a guess on how you felt after expressing your heartfelt beliefs. You see, whenever we state something that we deeply believe to be true, feelings of being uplifted and stirred to joyfulness soon follow. You see, to be is to believe. Our identity as humans is built around what we believe to be certain. Now, as we talked about last week, oftentimes circumstances in life uh, challenge our beliefs. What we believe to be certain are brought into question, which can sometimes create doubt. And remember, doubt is not disbelief. Doubt is where the circle of belief and disbelief overlap. It's that place that they share together. So doubt is neutral in principle, but it's anything but neutral in how it feels. When our beliefs are challenged, it's disruptive, it's confusing, and sometimes agonizing. Doubt is when the old answer or the old way of doing things no longer sustain us. In fact, I love how Dominic Dunn puts it. He says, doubt is vertigo. Vertigo. Let's, let's borrow that phrase. Doubt is vertigo. And let's apply it to the book of Psalms. When you read the Psalms, can't you feel the spiritual dizziness and the spinning as the authors try to wrap their minds around the promises and the faithfulness of God? Even though in their circumstances, it feels like the world is falling apart. Spiritual vertigo. In fact, if you read out of the Psalms often, you will notice that the language of doubt flows throughout the Psalms. In the book of spirituality of the Psalms, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, he makes the argument that the 150 poems in the Psalms essentially fall into three different categories. I want to briefly give you a condensed understanding of those three cat categories because it's very helpful for us to understand not only the Psalms, but also doubt. Here's category number one, the Psalms of Orientation. These are songs written during times of celebration and worship. The psalmist sees the presence of God throughout creation, and it causes his heart to overflow with delight in God. These psalms express the psalmist's belief that the same God who created the universe is the same God who loves and delights in humanity, in you and me. These psalms are filled with wonder, amazement, joy, and gratitude. Let me give you just a couple examples. Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 24, Psalm 33. These are all psalms of orientation. When we read these psalms, we feel 
at home. The words in the Psalms of Orientation are what we often hear in church services and Sunday school classes or from our friends and mentors in the faith. We hear the Psalms of Orientation read and we respond, our hearts respond with amen because they express beliefs that make us feel secure. They express beliefs that make us feel secure in our relationship with God and solid in our faith. Here's a second category of psalms, the psalms of disorientation. Uh, These psalms came out of a place of unexpected disruption when anger, despair, suffering, and tragedy caused the author's faith to be in vertigo, spinning them into confusion. Here are some you could read sometime. Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 32, and one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 51. They are unapologetically honest, often saying in song what we could never imagine saying publicly for fear that people would question that we even have faith. An example of such a psalm is Psalm 130. And listen to how it opens. In fact, when I read the opening of Psalm 130, I hear it being screamed. Out of the depths, I cry out to you. That word, the depths, it's a reference to hurt, grief, confusion, fear, anger. It's a reference to doubt. Whatever the events may have been, we watch and hear the psalmist spiral into confusion as his beliefs, his theology, his ideas about God, they're pulled out from under him. But that leads us to the third category of the psalms, the psalms of new orientation. These psalms are an expression of faith reborn. Though doubt dragged the psalmist kicking and screaming into the darkness of not knowing, the psalmist never let go of the remaining belief that he had in God. And he used the season of doubt to gain deeper belief. He never let doubt lead him from belief. He never let doubt drag him into disbelief. He allowed it to create deeper belief. Eventually, the psalmist crawls out of the darkness to an understanding of God that is richer and larger than what they previously, what he previously knew of God. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 23, Psalm 27, Psalm 56, Psalm 91. You will hear in the Psalms of New Orientation the Psalm's choice to trust in God despite the pain he experienced. Psalm 56 verse 3 says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Dunn says the book of Psalms is God's way of saying, I get it, I understand, and I am with you through it all. The Psalms give our doubts voice. One psalm I want to focus on for the remainder of our sermon here is Psalm 77. Psalm 77 opens with a shout of desperation. In verse 1, it says this, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. Though we do not know the events that inspired this song, 
They had to be catastrophic. For just a few verses later, listen to the questions that the events forced the psalmist to ask in verses 7 through 9. Let me read it. Psalm 77, verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Do you hear the doubt? Do you hear the confusion? I want you to notice that in each statement, the events he's experiencing are causing the psalmist to call into question the character of God. In fact, I want to reword these statements so we kind of get a little deeper understanding of what the psalmist is actually saying. Will the Lord reject forever? How we would say this today is, has God run out of grace? The psalmist says, will he never show his favor again? Uh, Today we would say, will God no longer save? The psalmist writes, has his unfailing love vanished forever? We would put it, has God's compassion run out? The psalmist writes, has his promise failed for all time? We would say, has God changed from being a promise keeper to a promise breaker? You hear the desperation. The psalmist writes, has God forgotten to be merciful? We would say, has God forgotten what makes him so unique? His mercy. And finally, has God in anger withheld his compassion? That's a different different way to say it is, is God no longer controlled by love but anger? All the questions that the psalmist is asking, it's calling into question the character of God. The psalmist questions, can't you feel the darkness of doubt surrounding him? And as dark as it is, listen to how the psalm ends in verses 10 through 20. As you listen, what do you hear? What is the tone of the psalm at the end? Let me read it for you. Psalm 77, verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the windy waters, though your footprints were not seen. Verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. By the end of the psalm, the psalmist's faith is reborn. There's a new confidence in God in spite of his circumstances. But how? How did such a change occur for him? That's the question I have. 
Well, the answer to that question is found in a word that occurs four times in this psalm. I don't know. If, I wonder if you caught it. It's the word remember. Verse 3, verse 6, and twice in verse 11. Os Guinness gives us a unique insight into doubt and faith. He says this, Doubt is often caused by a refusal to remember. Doubt is often caused by a refusal to remember. In Psalm 77, the word remember, it means to murmur, to quietly reflect on what God has done in the past in order to remind us of his true character. That is what the psalmist does. He remembers God's countless deeds of grace and power that have been traits of God's dealing with his people for generations. He remembers the plagues. He remembers the exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, the way God led his people. Psalm 77, verses 13 through 20, it ends. God led his people by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, many times our doubt is driven by the fact that we allow our circumstances to cause us to forget what God is truly like. When we are in trouble, often we can think about nothing else but ourselves and our trouble. In fact, that's the perspective of the psalmist at first. That's the point of view at which he does look at life. In verses 1 through 6, I found it interesting. Twelve times the psalmist refers to himself in those verses. Did you hear it when I read it? I cry, I seek, I think, I moan, I cannot speak, I meditate, I consider, I commune, I say, my trouble, my hand, my spirit. This all puts the psalmist in a state of doubt and despair. But something interesting happens in verse 13. In verse 13 through 20, he changes his point of view. He transitions from I to you, referring to God. In fact, everything becomes about God at that point. Listen to what he says. Your wonders, your work your way, your might, your strong arm, your arrows, your thunder, your lightnings, your paths, your footprints, your people. He refers to God 11 times in the second half of the psalm. What the psalmist needed most was to remember deeply the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the end, here's what the psalmist discovered. The Lord is the shepherd of his people. He writes, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Verse 20. While in the storm of disorientation, once the psalmist reordered him, reoriented himself to God, he rediscovered meaning and purpose. You see, a shepherd... A shepherd always has a goal in mind for the flock. If he leads his sheep to the mountain pastures, it's because he has something he wants to accomplish there. If he leads them beside still waters, it's because he has a reason and he wants to do something there. If the shepherd leads the sheep out into the wilderness where the wolves roam, it's because he wants them there. The shepherd supplies the purpose. 
When the vertigo of doubt hits, church, remember, you have a shepherd who is leading you with purpose. Let me pray. Gracious God, how I thank you for the gutsy honesty of the Psalms. I can so relate to this despair in Psalm 77. I can relate to its unresolved character. Like the psalmist, I am in, indeed a person in process, in process with you. Lord, help me. Help me to be honest with you, to say what is true to you. Keep me from pretending and spouting empty words. Yet, even as I am truthful with you, help me also to remember your wondrous deeds from the past. Most of all, may my life be shaped by the consistent remembrance of your grace in Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.